Um, but as we, as we get into the Advent, I brought them up here, and I wanted to give them these gifts um, so we can launch into our talk. Go ahead and open those up, please. Don't worry about the trash. You can just kick it to the side. Open it up. You got to open it up, yep. It's okay. She just has her nails done. I have no assistance. Cool. What's in there? Let's give them a hand, guys, for coming up here. I'm going to call you up here again, and I have real gifts for you. But for now, you can go back to your seats. You can leave it. You can leave it. It's cool. Thank you, guys. I, I love just watching their expectation as they came on the stage. Um, yeah, they were just happy, joy, joy, got their gifts excited. You know, as they opened it up and saw that it was nothing, you saw kind of the disappointment hit. I think these empty boxes are representations of how we live our lives during our Advent season. As you know, Advent is this season where we are waiting on the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, and we are celebrating his first coming, his first Advent. And what we should be experiencing in this Advent season is this idea of great expectation in Jesus' coming. But for many of us, our expectation is dressed up like you all are wonderfully dressed up this morning. You're wrapped up well, but deep in our hearts, do we have a real longing for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Or is it kind of like we're just going through the motions? Today I want us to work through this together, and this is kind of where I'm going with this sermon, so I ask for you to pray with me. Um, this is just the third segment of our, our talk, and I'm, I'm entitling it Broken Longings. So I feel it, even in this season, and you'll experience this to some degree on, 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 on Christmas, you'll, you'll have this longing that once Christmas is over, that longing kind of seeps out, it seeps away. This morning, I, wanna, I want us to look at Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 38. What time is it? Let's get into it. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 28. Thank you for volunteers that played such a great role. We'll bring you back up in a moment. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 38. And we're also going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 18. I'm going to start us off reading church, and then I want you to continue. Let's start at Luke 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Read. all good. 
Next slide. Romans 8. Go ahead. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us time this morning to dive into your word for as much that you want to say to us. Thank you that you have provided the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth. So, Lord, we say, have your way. Would you stand, think, speak through me those things you want your people to know? And we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about two things this morning. Uh, number one, Jesus' dedication service, and then seeds of longing. Jesus' dedication service and seeds of longing. I want us to do, uh, as we talk about Jesus' dedication service, I want us to do a case study on two individuals, Simeon and Anna, and we saw them in our text. I just want to walk through their life because I think there are things that Simeon and Anna teaches us that we can glean from this season called Advent. And this story happens just a month after Jesus' birth. Uh, They have named him Jesus as they were commanded. Uh, He was circumcised and he was brought to the temple in Jerusalem to be presented to the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. And in comes this, this, this man named Simeon. Now, most scholars will tell us Simeon is seasoned in age. This is not his first rodeo. He is a seasoned saint. He has been walking with the Lord for some time. And look how the scriptures describe this elder statesman in the faith. Number one, he is devout. He is devout to the service of God. In other words... This guy has a beastly, personal worship life. He is a man that that listens to and learns from the Word of God. So his his vertical relationship with Jesus Christ or, or with God the Father at that time is a strong relationship. But not only is he aligned vertically towards God, he's also aligned horizontally towards people. For the Bible calls him a righteous man. And that is not righteousness in how, how good he is before God. The righteousness refers to how he treats other people. He is a man that is committed to not just the service of God, but the service of people. So he has learned throughout his life that the Christian walk is not done in isolation, but that the Christian walk is in fact done through avenues of community. He has learned uh, that, that, that a part of what it means to be a Christian is not just to do my, my moral duty of prayer in Scripture reading or even giving or just attending a service, 
but I have to do my, my, my spiritual duty of serving other people. This is this man, this, this seasoned man, this, this older man named Simeon. And the Bible also tells us he is waiting for the consolation of Israel or the coming of the Messiah. What that reveals to us about Simeon is he is a man that is acquainted with patience. He has learned throughout his life that the Christian walk is not a sprint. It's more, it's, it's better characterized as a marathon. Or to say it another way, uh, it is not uh, cooking Raymond noodles in a microwave for a minute. Uh, it's more like cooking a stew of curry goat. Yeah. It's, it's, if you've ever cooked curry goat, then you know goat. It's a very tough meat, so you have to make sure when you're cooking it that you allow it to sit in that stew for quite a bit of time. As a matter of fact, real good curry goat can take hours. So it is incumbent upon the cook to be a man or woman of great patience. Even when stomachs are rumbling at the dining room table, you can assure the people that are waiting that it's worth the wait. That's Simeon. He's not, he's not new to this. As a matter of fact, we'll learn a little bit later, he's close to the end of his life. And he has this promise from God that you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Christ. And yet, it's been a while and it's been long and he's still waiting. But he has not lost his expectation. As I'm uh, studying for this, I am reminded of Grandma Velda. Grandma Velda is my grandmother and she towards the, 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 the later part of her life, you, you just saw this budding expectation of heaven. And she would often say to us, uh, 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 Rodney, you, you, you better be careful how you live, son, because he can come back tonight. Now you say that to a seven-year-old, you mess him up. Because <laughs> you're going to sleep, your eyes wide open, you don't want to miss anything. Jesus coming back should be spectacular. You don't want to be late to that show. But she, she lived her life with that expectation. And as I thought about this and I thought about Advent, and the word Advent just means coming or second coming of the Messiah, it, it's, it's this expectation that Jesus is coming. It's like the kid that's waiting for some special event to happen. They're, they're, they're sitting in their reality, but their eyes are on the future because they have this great expectation that something is coming. Beloved, do we live with that expectation? Or are we so taken by what's around us that we don't even, those thoughts don't even cross our mind? We see that Simeon is beastly in his just spiritual disciplines, but, but there's this other part of his spiritual life that we see evident in the text. Simeon is in step with the Spirit of God. He's in step with the Spirit. There are some things in discipleship that you can't teach. 
There are some things even me preaching this sermon, I cannot convey to you. There isn't enough time. Every day you're going to be hit with unique challenges and unique circumstances. And in those moments, you need counsel on the spot. And you won't always be able to get in contact with somebody to get their advice. What Simeon has learned, Simeon has learned throughout the years is how to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. He's been through enough trials to understand what it feels like when he doesn't listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling him to do. He understands what suffering is. He understands what failure is. And he's learned as he's aged to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, so much so that the text tells us that the Holy Spirit was on him. And what that means is the Holy Spirit was continually with him. He was walking step by step with the Holy Spirit. So much so that the Spirit could whisper stuff to Simeon and he would understand who was talking. What has the Spirit whispered to you that you said, I had this strange thought or I had this feeling? Simeon's devotional life and in step with the Holy Spirit helped him decipher between what was his thoughts and what the Spirit was saying to him. And the Spirit says to him, you will not die until you see the Lord's Christ. But watch this. The Holy Spirit isn't just telling him some, some, some wild thing to do or, or some, some frivolous thing to do. Or The Holy Spirit told me when I walked in here to sit in that particular seat. He's not saying that. Holy Spirit told me when I walked in the dealership that I bumped up against this car, and so I knew when my knee hit the car that that was the car I was supposed to buy. not saying this is what the Holy Spirit said. One of the ways we can know whether the Holy Spirit is speaking to us or not is where the Spirit is leading us. In this text, the Spirit leads Simeon to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is leading us to make much of Jesus Christ. In other words, the Spirit is not jealous of Jesus. Some of us have grown up in traditions like that where we have so much lifted high the Holy Spirit, so much high that Jesus is a footnote in the, in the narrative of Scripture. But no, it's actually quite the opposite. The Bible tells us that the Spirit will come and lead us into all truth. And who is that truth? That truth is Jesus. That he will speak and make much of Jesus. The Spirit leads Simeon to the temple at the exact moment that Mary and Joseph is walking into the temple to offer up Jesus. And Simeon at this time, once he locks eyes on Jesus, how does he know it was Jesus? Again, he's in step with the Holy Spirit. Could have been multiple babies there, but through the Spirit's leading, he's able to identify who Jesus is. And then he does what this lady did to Kaisha and I at a Chinese restaurant. My wife and I had just had Jordan. Jordan's our first, uh, so this is some 11 years ago, and we were new parents trying to figure it out, walking this Chinese restaurant, having a great time, eating and whatnot, and we, we, we went to the Chinese restaurant just a little bit too early. Ran around 5 o'clock. If you live in South Florida, you know where I'm going. Around 5 o'clock at a restaurant is usually where uh, all of the wonderful seasoned folks are, the beautiful seasoned folks of South Florida. 
And so when you go there and you're a young couple and you got a baby in your stroller and you walk in the restaurant at 5 o'clock when the wonderful seasoned folks of South Florida are at, what's going to happen? You're going to get attacked. So we get there, and we're eating, trying to eat, and this lady, they're coming up, they're looking, pulling back the stuff that we had the baby covered up. They're pulling it back to look in, and one lady gets as bold as to open up the thing and want to lift our baby out of the stroller. Kaisha, now having six eyes instead of two, looks at her like, what are you doing? But I think that's a good picture for the joy that we see Listen, when, when, when older people see younger kids, it, it gives, it help, it, they reminisce on what it was like to have their kids. And, and, and they have this experience with the kids that's unusual to just first-time parents. What we see with Simeon is this older man walking in and just picking up baby Jesus. This is what the text says. Mary and Joseph, they're lenient parents. They let it ride. I want you to get the picture of this older, this old man picking up baby Jesus. They had just been through a horrific ordeal, lot of traveling, angels singing, uh, shepherds showing up, miraculous birth. They just been through a long ordeal, lot of traveling, and then they walk into the temple, and this old man just snatches up the baby. But Simeon snatches in such a way that does not cause concern, but raises their antennas. Because as he picks up the baby, it's not just goo goo gaga for Simeon. This is the fulfillment of a life's promise. You see, at that time, they had been waiting some 400 to 500 years. They call it the silent years in between the Testament. And God had not been saying much, but there was a promise given that a Messiah was coming. So when Simeon sees this baby and picks up the baby and puts the baby in his hands, he is holding the Prince of Peace that gives his heart peace and rest because he's seen Jesus. This is what's, this is what's happening in and, and, and Simeon begins to rejoice because what he was expecting was now in his arms. And look what he says. Now your servant can die at peace. For my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. In other words, Seeing Jesus gives me rest to go to the Father because I know your salvation has come. I have found him to be a promise keeper. I have found Jesus to deliver on the goods he promised. He's faithful like that. And us like Simeon can sit in our own context of our own life and we can do two things. We can look back and remember all of the times where he promised he was going to take you through high school and he did. He promised you were going to pass SATs and you passed it. He promised that you were going to do this and you did it. You can look back over your life and see that he's faithful. And what that should do for us, it should fuel us with expectation. That if he promised he went away to prepare a place for me, that where I am he may be also, that he will make good on that. And if that is true, what are you sweating again? 
What has you so anxious that you can't sleep? What has you doubting and bringing accusations against a holy God? Simeon helps us to remember the God that promised is faithful. But he also says that this, this salvation has happened in front of all people. In other words, he didn't just come to the elite of, is, of, of, of Israel. He didn't just come to the wealthy. He didn't come to the people that had it all together. Jesus is out there in the open. I love it. There's no security detail on this infant. Some of our infants are more well protected than Jesus. We have more protocol. I mean, I mean, moms are like, listen, moms are serious. Like, there's a whole protocol. You can't just approach their baby. There's a protocol to this thing. Some of our infants are more well protected than Jesus. Jesus is just out in the open in the presence of all people. And he is a light to the Gentiles. And he's the realization of the glory of Israel. What a joy. What a joy. But this joy does not come without truth. Real joy encompasses truth and not falsehood. In other words, what we conclude as joy is, is, it, it, should be, it should be encompassed by truth. So in that case, Simeon gives the parents a very hard word. He, they say, this child is appointed for the rising and the falling of many. What does that mean? What Simeon is telling Mary and Joseph is this. There will be many who will reject your child, and in rejecting your child, they will be lost. And there are those that, that, that through the Spirit and grace will accept your child, and in accepting your child, they will rise unto salvation. In other words, Simeon gives them this, this, this sword that, that there's no neutrality with this infant. That you can't just look at this infant and say, oh, he's, he's so cute, he's, he's so nice. No, it's, it's, it's either you accept this infant or you don't. Amen? But not just that, that's hard enough, that's a lot of pressure on the infant, Right? But then Simeon says, hey, Mary, yeah, that same sword is going to pierce your own soul. Who says that at a baby dedication? <laughs> if, you, if you came to my baby shower and said that to my wife, yo, you out, dude. You just get out. I don't, don't receive it. Get out. <laughs> But he says to Mary, no, this, this sword will pierce your own soul. Meaning, yes, you did and have the honor of giving birth to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But Mary, you will watch him die. You would watch him tortured, rejected, hung on a cross. The beauty of that infant will pierce your own soul. Let's pause for parenting. Your children in one way or another are going to pierce your soul. Some way, some form, some fashion, there'll be disappointment, there'll be let down, there'll be 
things that they do that you don't understand. Even as time keeps going, there may be times where they don't call as often or don't come around as often, and you're wondering what's going on. Did I do something to offend them? Your, your, your children, no matter what, will pierce your own soul. But here's some really, 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 really good news. They weren't that good of idols anyway, right? It is in parenting that God teaches us that I can't put that much weight on them to be the the support of my entire life. So I have to trust them to the Lord and then place my hope in the one that truly sustains. And we can tell whether we do this by tracking how hopeless we are or how ecstatic we are. When we're completely hopeless, it could be an indication that weight has been applied to the wrong support system. Where we're too overly, bubbly, just ecstatic, it could be an indication, could be, that you've placed your hope in something else. So I'm looking at Simeon, and I'm just dumbfounded. I'm like, dude, because I'm like an introvert, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm cool, calm, and collective. That's who I am. Like, somebody bringing good news. Hey, Rod, guess what happened? Uh, they tell me what happened. I'm just like, oh, it's good, man. It's great. Oh, I just thought you'd be like, right. It's just not my personality. I'm like, calm, cool, collective. And so when I see just this, this Simeon just budding with excitement, I'm thinking to myself, does that mean I just need to pump up my energy levels? No, I think this is more of a heart expression that may come through varying personalities. But what we should have is some real joy. What we should have is to be completely satisfied in him. Case number two, Anna. And not much is said of her, but I love what's said. I've said it before, four to 500 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we get to the New Testament, and the first prophet that is named is not a man, but a woman. And she is a faithful prophetess, the Bible says, of God. She was faithful to her husband, but her husband passed away after seven years of marriage, and so the next 84 years she spends in the temple, watch this, praying and fasting, for 84 years. Commentators would say she's some 103 to 104 years old at the time of this baby dedication. And when she sees what Simeon is saying, the Bible says she comes up, she comes alongside. She's probably not moving at the fastest rate, but there's no hesitation on the amount of joy and gravity and force that is coming behind her. And she is ecstatic at seeing baby Jesus. Simeon the man, Anna the woman, attesting to all that baby Jesus is. And coming up at that very hour of the text here, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him and all that were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, when she saw baby Jesus, she went to preaching. Hey, y'all, this is it. This is him. Remember what Isaiah said? This is him. Remember the prophecies. This is him. It's fulfilled. 
She begins to preach good news that salvation has come. Again, I say, do you live with this kind of Advent expectation? Again, I ask, are you looking for his return or are you just doing life, paying bills, going to work, eating food, not even giving a second thought? So I thought to myself, what stops us from living this way? Our country needs more Simeons and Annas. What stops us? Does his coming concern you? Maybe there's someone here. This could be a lot of us. Does his coming worry you? Does his coming make you fearful? I'm going to ask real quick that those three people that came up, if you would come back up to the stage, just really quickly, I just want to hand you this box and I want you to open it. Let me get a do-over. You can open that. You can open that. Dan's like, if this is empty again, dude, I'm keying your car. Can I see that? (laughs) Seeds. Here you go. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. I think let me just say this. I think it's a little bit of miscommunication in planning this. Um. What I wanted these to be were seeds that you could actually plant. (laughs) Some of y'all are excited because Dan's going to be like this for the rest of the sermon. (laughs) I thought I'm back. Um, But you guys get my drift. I think what we need is this in this talk. I think we need seeds of longings. I think... There needs to be something planted in our hearts that help us to long for his coming. Because hear me this morning, he is coming. Can I say it this way? He's on his way. It's like when you're waiting for somebody to come and, and you text them and, 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 and they say, I'm still at the house. Then you're, then you're really relaxed because you're like, who knows when they're going to leave. But if they text back and say, I'm on my way, then you know it's only a matter of time before they get here. Can I say to you this morning, Jesus is on his way. And what we need is spirit-granted Assurance. In other words, we need the Spirit to do a work in our heart to help us understand we're His. Before I get that, let me say this. Do you think God wants you to know that? Do you think God wants you to know that He's coming back, not just coming back, but coming back for you, for Justin, for Lacey, 
for Vic. Like he's coming back for you. Do you think God wants you to know that? Or do you believe that he wants you to be in limbo so you just keep working hard? Maybe he's coming back for me. Maybe he's not. I'm not sure. Maybe what we need this morning is to be granted assurance because he's not a God that takes joy in your uncertainty. He's not some sadistic author of a horror movie who's waiting for the next scare time to happen. Good news, that's not his goal. Prove it, Rodney. 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't know about you this morning, but that is good news to me. There are times in my life I need to be reassured and reassured and reassured that I know that I have eternal life. I need to be reminded time and time again that I am not my own, but I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. I have to be reminded I'm not some illegitimate child on the outskirts just running around. No, I am his. I've been adopted. And he not might come back for me. He's coming back for me. So Romans 8, as we close, Romans 8, verse 12 through 18, helps us with this. The first seed that we can plant for us to remember that we're his is, do you have the Holy Spirit? For the Bible says that if we do not have the Holy Spirit, we're none of his. The text opens and says, he has not made us debtors to sin. If we live according to the flesh, we will die. If we live according to the flesh, we will die. Hear that? No apology. If you live, if I live according to the flesh, you will die. This live is this idea of this constant practice. It is, it is who you are. It's how you roll. If you live according to your fleshly sinful desires, the Bible says you will die. And that's not dead like somebody passed away. That's eternal separation. So no false assurance here. But, and I thank God for the but, if you by the Spirit, if you by the Spirit, not by your moral efforts, So I'm not preaching to you try harder. Don't miss this. But if you by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. As we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, we are filled with the ethos of Jesus. And life becomes more and more to us what it was and is to him. In other words, as I give way to the Spirit, obey the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit. In other words, when he's leading me to do something, don't sit on that in rebellion. He's urging you to give, to serve, to sacrifice, and you say, not today. No, I can't. That's grieving him. But if you, by the Spirit, Put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. And in living, you will have this ethos of Jesus or this culture of Jesus that takes shape in your heart to where what he wants, you want. Amen? So number one, if we have the Spirit, that gives us assurance that we are his. Number two, we make war. 
The Bible says that we are led to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Beloved, what that means is one of the ways you know you're a Christian, <coughs> one of the ways you know that you're his, you fight sin. You are clocking in to a bout with your sin. And this is not a cute sparring match. This is an arch enemy that you despise. You hate your sin and you're fighting against it. It's one of the ways that you know if you're a child of God. We see that clearly in the text in verse 13. It says, for if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if we by the Spirit put the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For, you are led by, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. In other words, one of the ways you know you're a son is you're led by the Spirit. And what is the Spirit leading you to do? It's leading you to make war against your sin. So I say to you, fight. Could it be one of the reasons that we're not sure about our assurance or who, if we're his or if we're a believer? And maybe one month you're saying, I'm a believer. And next month you're saying, I don't know. Or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for so long, you look around and you don't even know how you got where you are. Attending church, serving, doing what you're supposed to do, but your connection is off with him. Something has crept in and caused separation. Could it be? that he's reminding you this morning that one of the ways assurance comes is fighting sin. Now watch this. I didn't say that in your fight you win every round. But you don't stay down. Somebody here earnestly from their heart is saying, but I'm fighting, Rod. I'm, I'm giving it all I got, but I'm I'm struggling. Don't you dare quit. As a matter of fact, do what we did in the neighborhood. If you went somewhere with friends and you got in a fight and you were losing, your friends was there. It's just a secret code. If one fight, we all fight. Maybe what you need is some help. Maybe you need some brothers and sisters to come alongside and say, man, I'm struggling with this. I need help. Pray with me on this. Walk with me through this. Hold me accountable to this. We need to make war. Somebody say make war. Lastly, one of the ways we know that you're a believer, somebody here this morning, I, 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 just this week I believe that that assurance is a gift that God's given his church that I don't think we always grapple with enough and take a hold of. We need to know we're his sons and his daughters. Because when we know that, it makes us more eager to look to his coming. So number one, the, one of the ways we know is that th- we have the spirit of God. Number two, we make war with our sin. And number three, we cry Abba. Verse 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as a son by whom we cry Abba, Father. Abba was an endearing term. In other, it, Jews would not use the word Abba to talk to God. It was too, it was too intimate. It's like people walking in your house and 
Somebody will call you Mr. Wilkinson, but your kids don't call you Mr. Wilkinson. They call you dad, daddy. It's an intimate name. And this name happens when there's a change of identity. We are no longer bastards on the outside of God's family looking in. We have been engrafted and adopted into his family by his own precious blood. And when he does that, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit is crying in our heart is Abba or Daddy God. Children cry out for help and dependency in need. And God has given us a special name to cry out to him when we're in need, Abba, Father. Everyone standing. I've told this story, I'm sure, before here at Gospel Fellowship, but I was driving my kids to and from school, and when I'm driving them to and from school, it's, it's like my discipleship time with them, and we got in the, I, I was talking to them about what I'm preaching this week, talking about Simeon and Anna, and talking about how God's given us assurance, and, and, and one of those things, my daughter asked, but daddy, how do you know, like, like, no, like, no, like, no, if you still mess up, because my, because my kids know, they know they're a mess, they don't think they're perfect, and, and, and I just gave that illustration. I said, sweetie, if we pull into our driveway and you look at the front yard and the whole front yard is a mud pen. And I said, if a pig goes into that mud pen, he's going to wallow. I said, do you think he's going to feel like, he, like, like something bad has happened? They said, no, daddy. They said, he's going to enjoy it. That's, I said, why? And, 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 and they used the words. They said, that's his nature. That's, that's who he is. That's what a pig does. But if you take a sheet to that same mud pen and you toss him in the mud pen and now the mud begins to get all on his wool and he becomes heavy and weighed down and it's hard for his little legs to track through the mud and, and the smell and the stench and he's not used to that. That's, that's, that's not who he is and there's no green pastures and there's no quiet waters and he can't see his shepherd and he's stuck in the mud. The, the, the sheep is going to cry, Abba, Father. He's going to cry because he's in trouble. The good news of Advent, as we wait with expectation for his second coming, is that when we are in trouble, one of the ways we know that we're his, one of the ways we know that the Spirit's at work is that you tend to cry. And, it, and, and for some of you, that's, that's not a good feeling. You you, you don't do emotions like that. You're too sophisticated for that. And I get that, and that's cool in the game. But let something hit your life. If it hasn't yet, just keep on living. A test will come where you'll say, Abba, Father, save. Help me. Prayer team, come. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. But if that's you this morning, we want to pray. We just want to pray. If that's you, come. People here want to pray with you, want to encourage you. Maybe there's some place where you say, I just have not been living with this expectation. That's not where I am. That's not who I am.
Maybe there's some sin that has beaten you down. You're in a ring with sin and it's beat you down to a, to, to a pulp and you don't, you don't even know how to get up anymore. If that's you, come. We want to pray. Not that there's no magic up here in these people or at this time. But the Bible commends us over and over and over and over again to pray for one another. So if that's you, come. I'm going to pray for the congregation as a whole. Would you bow your head as I pray? Father, we thank you. Thank you for what your son has done on our behalf. Thank you for what this infant offers. God, we just pray for all your people this morning. Pray for those that may be watching us on Facebook. Pray for those that may be listening to this message at some other time. I pray for your assurance to rock their lives, not to give them this false assurance or this cheap grace, but so by the Spirit they would put to death the sin in their life, and by the Spirit would you now spur them on to good works. I pray for that, Lord. Use us for your glory in all that we do. And we bless you, and we honor you, and we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, somebody put your hands together. Come on, put your hands together. Let's give Jesus praise. Hallelujah. You may be seated. You may be seated.